Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I've got Lisa Kenny. She is a senior demand generation marketing manager at Blackbaud. And she and I were just at the B2B Marketing Exchange Conference in Arizona a few weeks ago. And she gave a wonderful presentation on the Netflix effect on content engagement. So I wanted to have Lisa come on the program and talk about some of the great things that she is doing content-wise over at BlackBot and some other things. So Lisa, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, I mentioned it to you. I know that I'm working on this new book called Agents of Change, and you have been, sounds like one of those just great agents over there of change at BlackBot not only in terms of content strategy, but a lot of the tools and the MarTech tools that you've been using. So I think it'd be cool for people to hear just some of the things that are in your stack, either relating to content or beyond, and just kind of go through that. And then we can drill in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love marketing tech stacks. I think it derives from my graphic design background. Uh, I have a degree, and so I'm pretty fluent in Adobe Creative Suite. And when I came to BlackBot, um, they were developing this beautiful tech stack that really connects the demand gen world uh, to help us, you know, hit our lead goals, um, the, uh, get those leads through the funnel process. Uh, so at BlackBot, we use Marketo, we use Salesforce, we use um, uh, Uberflip for our content experiences and BrightFunnel for reporting. We use On24 for webinars. Uh, we use Snap App for interactive, and I'm probably going to miss a few there, but that's probably my basis of the tech stack. And um, I, I do feel like I've been leading the charge and adopting these tools. I become the beta user for new technology. For example, we launched uh, BrightFunnel in March of 2017. So I was an early adopter, and now I can't live without it. So really what I do on a daily basis is build campaigns that – um, allow me to measure ROI and performance and leverage the tech stack to do so, whether that be Marketo interesting moments or lead scoring or to see how something's performing in BrightFunnel, all the way down to the resource level, which we can absolutely talk about, uh, which I'm a huge fan of, of content experiences that allow me to do that. So, so yeah, that's, that's a nutshell, the tech stack that I use every day. That's a lot of different tools. Let me ask you a question because you have a passion and background for content. How did you become proficient in not only being an effective content marketing person and effective in demand generation, but also really understanding and knowing how to leverage these tools? Any secret recipe? Because it really, I think you're unique, a bit of a unicorn. You typically have people who are very strong in content and the art of marketing, and then others who are more on the science and systems of it. And you have uh, a bit of both. Has that always been who you are or something happened along the way? I think something happened along the way. Um, I think where I am in my you know, my, my, my mid-30s, um, I now I'm more of a data geek than ever. Uh, but when I first started, you know, I was a graphic designer. So I actually started out as a company called Segway uh, right out of college, and I was the marketing graphic designer. And 
we really did a lot of things old school. There was no Marketo back then. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we actually migrated to Bronto, which was a very cutting-edge uh, marketing automation tool at the time, uh, and that was from something like Constant Contact. Um, we, you know, we weren't using Salesforce to its fullest. Um, we were doing – I was working a lot with a web developer to do a lot of the interactive things that I can do today with a lot of the tech tools. So I think as a graphic designer – because I was the last touch before anything went out into the market, I started to learn best practices for not only designing content, but for creating content. And then um, my career had evolved to, I end up becoming head of marketing uh, in my mid-20s at Segway. And then um, from that career, I went over to e-commerce. And when I went into the e-commerce space, um, I then we, we picked the Market Live Kibo platform, where you developed two websites and five months, uh, one for B2B and one for B2C. Uh, The B2B site ended up uh, becoming an international Hot 100 retail winner uh, because of some of the cool uh, features we were doing. And so I think in my e-commerce space, I really started focusing more on graphic design in the digital world and really having to be data-centric and tech-savvy with using the tools and the recommendations and the email campaigns that go along with e-commerce. And after we launched, I kind of wanted, I missed the full, well-rounded marketing aspect. I missed owning the trade shows and the direct mailers and everything beyond just digital. Mm -hmm. So um, when I moved to BlackBaud, Uh, I actually was recruited by one of my former colleagues at Segway, and uh, she sent me the job description. I was like, this is really interesting. It's a little mixture of both of these worlds that I live in, and then it was a brand new tech stack that I have never been exposed to. So I went from very little tech stack, very grassroots, to e-commerce tech stack, which we we had a wonderful tech stack there. We have... Market Live Scene 7, um, we had uh, Bronto there as well for our email platform and, uh, and a few other tools there. And then when I came over to BlackBot, it opened my world to the world of Marketo. And then I, that's where I really got to understand the value of Salesforce yeah. and leveraging Salesforce data to manage my campaigns and my outreach. Uh, and as soon as I had gotten on board, they had just signed on with Uberflip. So I quickly, I knew what to do with that immediately because of my web design website background. Right. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be my little microsite for <laughs> my demand gen- initiatives. And it was, and it is. In fact, um, in 2017, my Uberflip hub, which is called artstopapa.com, influenced 4.7 million in pipeline and 3.1 million in bookings. Well, congrats. Let me over- interrupt you. And congrats. Congratulations yeah. on two things. One is that you actually know the numbers, and I and B that they are significant. So hoorah for marketing for driving revenue to you for driving that. Yeah, and I think what's beautiful in that is at Blackbaud they have invested in this tech stack to allow me to see the full picture and be more strategic and love data even more. And so now it's almost like. I take my graphic design knowledge, but I'm able to apply that to some some strategic initiatives that I found along the way that are working or what's not working. Um, so, so really, it's kind of evolved over time, uh, and it's just over 10 years of exposure to both B2B and B2C marketing and going from grassroots 
all the way to where we are today, which is the marketing tech stacks that allow you to accomplish so much more than, than we could have in the past. Um, well, I, I love having I you. Oh sorry. oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, you cut you off. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, I remember my first interactive feature uh, that I've ever created was in uh, Flash, Adobe Flash. And I, I don't think yep. many people are using Flash nowadays. But if you recall, like that was how you got your websites like animated and movable. And um, I remember creating a, it was a map for, for um, law enforcement. So we, we sold Segway PTs to the law enforcement, and there's all different verticals. There's uh, police and security, there's warehouse security, there's uh, uh, community policing where you're just using them on the streets, or maybe it's event uh, crowd control. And so we created this little map uh, using an Illustrator vector file that we bought online that then I manipulated. And I was able to use Flash to, based on whether you hovered over a specific thing, like maybe you hovered over the stadium in the map, it would pop up all the PDFs that related to customer stories uh, for stadium security. And if you hovered over the hospital on the map, it would pop up as, you know, um, hospital uh, EMT initiatives and or hospital security. And so I started segmenting long time ago and using interactive experiences to kind of have people engage with content. And now that we have tools like SnapApp, the flash stuff can go away. So I can actually crank out things a lot quicker. I think that interactive tool that I created back in, I'm going to say 2008, it would have been um, something I probably created in in three or four months. It probably right. took me a long time. Yeah. And a lot, <laughs> yeah. lot different yeah. level of coding and, and expertise required. You're right. I mean, HTML has advanced so much that we can, you know, build fully interactive applications now um, without being dependent on it. So, you know, you you probably don't realize how unique you are for someone to have come up and grown up as a graphics designer using Illustrator, using Photoshop, using the Creative Suite, using all the tools to graphically communicate and then really embrace very much all these different MarTech tools, whether that be Marketo, as you mentioned, and Uberflip for your content hub, SnapApp, and BrightFunnel. Again, we don't always see these... these um, these skill sets be so diverse on the art of marketing and, and science of marketing. I think it's one of the reasons that you've had so much success there as an agent of change because you're you're connecting the importance of communication and visuals and marketing content to the ability to put that content in front of your prospects and in front of your customers using these these tools. It's impressive. Oh, thank you. I mean, really, it's just evolved, and I love what I do. I'm actually, I'm from New Hampshire, uh, so this unicorn also probably lives in, in a state that a lot of people don't think about. <laughs> uh, so so I'm technically a remote employee up here, um, but I think be, I feel closer than ever to my colleagues and, uh, and and my friends because of where we are digitally in this world. And, That's great. And I love the tech stack that that allows me to accomplish so much more. Uh, I don't think I could ever go away from that. Uh, so I think I'm kind of what I'm doing right now with the tech stack that I have. It, I feel I feel like I'm professionally in a great place, and 
I don't think I could go backwards. I've, I've been spoiled. <laughs> I often say what For a sure. great time it is to be in marketing, right? There's so many different paths. My daughter is about to graduate. I've got two daughters. Both of them are at San Diego State. Both of them um, are studying business marketing. One is more of the historical graphics designer, but she's incredibly entrepreneurial, and she's working on a new business concept right now. And then my other oh. daughter has a lot of social media experience and, and um, what I call modern-day PR experience with influencer marketing. So it's been cool to learn oh, yeah. from them who have far more social um, media expertise than, than most of us working in corporate America, unless we've focused on that, right? It made it part of our, our thought leadership strategy or communication strategy. What um, I want to ask you oh, another yeah. question. So when you rattled off the metrics and you can hear anybody okay. listening to the program okay. right now can hear you and your passion for what you do, which is awesome. The metric side, and yeah. where where did why are you so passionate about measurement? And I know it's kind of like the obvious question, but I I want to dig a little bit deeper to find out what in your mind makes you so passionate for tracking the numbers and reporting on the contribution. So for me, I totally geek out on performance, and I, I am also held to goals, right? So I have monthly lead goals, I have pipeline goals, I have bookings goals to um, support. So I am always measured every month and I have to put a, a, this pretty comprehensive reporting package together on marketing versus A initiated, uh, marketing influence versus um, no influence on marketing at all. And we were doing this without Bright Funnel. We have some of our own reports. We have uh, amazing marketing operations team uh, that are very Excel savvy that can pull in anything you need. So we have our own custom funnel report, um, our, our booking versus budget report. And, uh, and then it was when we added Bright Funnel, it added this whole new layer to strategy where I could actually see multi-touch influence and not just last touch influence. Mm -hmm. So my in the past, the last touch reporting, it was like, okay, we have this webinar. It was a demo. It's an automatic MQL. 10 people went to that demo, 10 people MQLed. And it was like, okay, well, that, that's all fine and dandy. And, and we could also do the on-demand recordings, but also MQL them as well. But that's just a small sliver of their story right. where that might have been the last touch. They might have did XYZ beforehand, and then they might have done XYZ afterwards because, uh, you know, we all know the buyer's journey is, is always multi-touch, and yeah. it happens before the lead and after the lead. So Bright Funnel really allows me to see all of that. And so the metrics driven is I, I love seeing high open, uh, open rates, click rates, and click-through rates. When I see them low – I it, it makes me um, <laughs> why it makes me want to know why I have to go figure that out and so I get a weekly report of all my emails the prior week and I comb through that report and if there's anything on there that didn't resonate I want to know why but also if anything was resonating okay that's a little nugget for me to make the campaign uh, maybe change directions in a campaign or maybe turn that into a campaign or uh, take a new approach. So when I see things are performing well, I know I'm on the right track. And then vice versa. If I see things not performing, why am I wasting my time on it? Uh, was it even worth it? Is it even, how old is it? 
uh, did it just launch? Okay, I should give it a little bit more time, but I shouldn't just launch something, set it, and forget it. You right. should always optimize everything that you do. Good point. So I feel like the only way for me to be strategic on a daily basis and to roll with the punches, I need to look at data all the time. So to go back to to my reporting, um, I, I just finished my reporting package for February, and and I find this really interesting that because of Bright Funnel, we're able to see our influence on the bookings for for a month or a quarter. So for the month of February, uh, marketing campaigns, marketing touches influenced over 75% of our client bookings and over 92% of our prospect bookings. And that's marketing influence. And just think about without marketing there, uh, you know, I don't think they would get as many leads or bookings. Um, the, the, they would be working a lot harder to um, to get those quality leads and move them down the funnel. So with the tools that we have today, seeing the influence that I provide, it makes me want to keep going. And I'm a type A personality, so give me a gold star and I, like I just light up and, and I, I'll keep going for you as, as long as I keep getting those gold stars. For sure. Well, <laughs> so, I, I think everybody would probably pick up that you are a type A personality and you are a driver and you like to have success. Let's unpack, though, a couple things that you mentioned because I know a lot of yeah. the people on the program that are listening – don't have either the analytics tools and experience. So you touched on something in my book. I think it's chapter eight where I talk about um, analytics. Um, the book is Manufacturing Demand. I I want to reinforce a couple of things that you are just coming to very naturally. One is there are three categories of metrics. There are the tactical metrics. And when you talk about open rates and click-through rates and that kind of level of performance, I call that tactical um, marketing measurement. Then there's the operational metrics, which when you talked about the funnel and the different amount of inventory in the stages of the funnel, um, I, that's what I refer to as the operational metrics for demand generation. And then there are those executive measurements when, when you talked about the contribution of marketing to revenue and the influence of marketing. So for those of you listening, you may not be like Lisa. I mean, she is definitely a bit of a unicorn that she's got this broad range of skill sets and capabilities, not only on the art side of marketing, but the science, but she also understands that there are tactical metrics you keep within your department and you look for ways to uh, perform, as you said, always be optimizing, never set it and forget it. And then those other metrics around showing marketing's contribution, right? Because I've often said your VCs are your CEO and your CFO. And if you can show them a return on the investment in marketing, you can get more money for more program. So you, you know, you, you speak of it um, in a different way than I do, but, you know, don't take for granted ever the, um, the level of expertise and proficiency that you've developed because it's not consistent across uh, the folks that we, we work with. Um, so, so kudos. Let me ask you about Bright Funnel. Since, oh, so we have a yeah. Demand Gen Alliance, and in our Demand Gen Alliance, we have over a dozen different partners. These are kind of best of breed um, technologies that we work across our client base. And ironically, every single tool that you mentioned, they are a member of our alliance. One <laughs> of the things, you know, well, maybe no coincidence there, but one of the things is with Bright Funnel, I think people would like to hear what did it take 
to get it up and running? Is this a plug-and-play analytics solution for you, or was there a bunch of work that you had to do on your data or Salesforce structure or changes to how Marketo was was working across and working with these applications? I think people would want to know, what does it really take to go from having virtually no analytics and metrics of, of good use to having the kind of tool sets that you have? Yeah, so um, I'm probably going to speak mostly on behalf of our marketing operations director, Michelle McCarthy. Hey, Michelle. Big shout out to uh, Michelle. She is so amazing, uh, and she worked with our vice president, uh, uh, Mary Pat Donnellan, uh, and they were drinking the Serious Decision Kool-Aid, and they knew that they wanted to show the impact of marketing um, beyond just the MQL, right? And so... Uh, we we have a very sophisticated um, Marketo that is very well mapped to Salesforce, and I think because of that, the good connection there, it allowed for hopefully BrightFunnel to to launch easier than than normal. I wasn't really part of the mapping side of it. Uh, however, I see my global filters here and I understand that it maps back to Salesforce pretty easily. Uh, and there have been some instances where um, I've noticed some of the data getting skewed and we would look into that and maybe something wasn't syncing. So it was kind of, it, we launched, the data was syncing in from Marketo, the data syncing in from Salesforce, right? And so in Marketo, uh, BrightFunnel, uh, you can set it up in different ways. You can set it up as a click within an email. You can set it up as a registration. Uh, so there's all these different criteria you can set up in Marketo to then feed into BrightFunnel as a success yeah. or a campaign. So I myself, I keep, I have a master Excel file of every job number I have. I have a, I, I know, I know what campaigns are hitting my market. So I really started there. Okay, I have this new tool. It seems to be working, but for some reason I can't say this. I can't see this campaign in there. So then I can just go back to Marketo, notice that there's no bright funnel trigger on there, and I would work with my Matt team to to clean that up. Within 24 hours, it would sync, and I would see it in bright funnel. So there was a little bit of trial and error in knowing that not every one of my programs probably had a bright funnel trigger on it, uh, partly because we were backtracking. So we only backtracked all the way to through 2016 when we launched Bright Funnels. So right now I only have 2016 and 2017 data in here, uh, which is which is fine 20, because yeah. anything prior to that, I didn't right. really need, to, need it to sink over. But there was a lot of, of, of cross-checking, I guess, to make sure everything was syncing over. Yeah. Now I pretty much can trust that everything's syncing over. Anytime I create a new program, uh, it's automatically uh, going to, to create a program in Bright Funnel. And... So, so it really wasn't too hard. We had one instance where we had the sales team change uh, one of the values from sales SPI opportunity to um, what they're now calling solution selling. And so it was just one little check off in our global filters that because it was no longer syncing over from that value, we were we lost data. But it it took bright some I think. 20 minutes to fix, just rehook up that mapping, and, and now I can see all my data again. So it makes me think that it's not a hard implementation uh, to manage. It's, it's, it seems like BrightFunnel was with us throughout. 
throughout the whole imp- implementation. Yeah. When, I, when I wrote my book five years ago is when I was published, started writing it certainly long before that, my first book, um, there really were no analytics platforms. There was no easy way to measure the demand funnel, um, no effective ways to look at campaign attribution in terms of revenue, and so much has changed. So folks, you are listening, and whether it's Bright Funnel or you know other tools that are out there, really encourage you to to look at these and evaluate them. You also mentioned Uberflip. Um, we use Uberflip ourselves at DemandGen. So if anybody goes to demandgen.com and goes to resources, you can see Uberflip in action. And you know that was a big part of your session at the B2B Marketing Exchange, You know the Netflix effect you said on engagement. And what we're seeing today is a very positive thing that people are addicted to learning. People are addicted to content. So if we can serve up content, whether it's YouTube or content on your website, what have you, if you can serve up content in a way that people can consume it, get at it, and consume it quickly and rapidly, they're they're doing that. Uberflip, want to share anything about in terms of your journey with them and how you went from uh, implementing the technology to where you are today? Yeah, so I inherited artsababa.com when I moved over from our K-12 team to our arts and cultural team. So at Blackboard, we provide software to nonprofits all over the world, and there are millions of nonprofits out there, and so we try to be very strategic in some of our uh, business units. So I'm in what's called the arts and cultural business unit, aquariums, gardens, museums, zoos, performing arts and cultural foundations. We also have a K-12 business unit, we have a higher ed, healthcare, faith-based, so you can kind of start seeing the types of organizations that fit into those buckets. So when I inherited Uber, our Uber Flip Hub, it was pretty basic. There wasn't a lot of, all the bells and whistles were not being used. Um, it was really just being used as an upload site without a lot of extra strategy. I think because of my e-commerce website background, I was able to just adopt this and treat it like my, I guess, an e-commerce site in a way. Each it's, one of these resources is a product for Yeah, me. yeah. So you uh, had that wiring of how do I merchandise products to now how yeah, do I merchandise content. Mm. makes sense to me. I, I knew that I, I came into this market and I had this wonderful product marketer uh, who basically was like, here's how we see the market. And I was like, okay, let's slice it even more. So um, we had it general admission versus reserve seating versus cultural foundation. I was like, well, what does general admission look like versus reserve seating? And reserve seating is performing arts. It's if you're buying a ticket and you have a assigned seat, whereas general admission is wide open um, seating. It's a different type of ticketing. So, um, and then there's personas within those. So I decided to take my hub and navigate as if if I could search by the type of org that I am, search by the type of solution that I'm looking for, or search by the type of topic or persona that I I most relate to. So, for example, if I am a membership manager for an aquarium, I probably can go to artsbubble.com and navigate to all the membership resources without having to try to find it on my own or do too many searches. So because of of this Uberflip hub that has this unique URL that's for my market, that URL I put on all my collateral, mm-hmm. all of my ads, it's I point everyone to this hub. All of my campaigns go to this hub unless it's a it's a special landing page. But even then, I might have Im- embedding from the hub onto the landing pages uh, within Marketo. 
So uh, I'm looking at my stats right here. Um, for 2017 alone, we had over 14,000 unique visitors to artspapa.com, uh, over 53,000 page views, and about two and a half pages per visit. I find that pretty good numbers for just being a resource hub. This isn't, it's not supposed to be a microsite. It's not replacing blackbot.com. But if you go to blackbot.com today, which our, our brand team is working on revising that, it's very, it's very easy to go down this rabbit hole and get lost and get scared away. When I send people to the Uberflip hubs, they get to stay in there and they get to peruse without feeling right. like I'm cooking them every single time. Even though you're probably going to provide me your information once through um, through a gated CTA. But at that point, once we cookie you, you're free to roam. And I think you start to have this experience that is a lot less intimidating. We're not asking for your email every time you look at something. Some things I get for free. But what I love about that is I'm still tracking you. I know everything that you're doing. I know how long you've looked at a, a, a flip book, and I know um, when you watched a video. And I, I, everything is designed within my Marketo instance to have a job number for every piece of my re every resource that's gated. Now, every resource has a job number. It's all one 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 six eight is my job number. But then it will have underscore uh, CV for customer video underscore uh, Smithsonian, and I can then find that job number and see how did that one Smithsonian video do. And I can see how it looks in Marketo. I can see how it looks in Salesforce. And then I can see how it looks in BrightFunnel. That kind of pulls the two together. Prior to BrightFunnel, I would just be relying strictly on uh, Marketo and Salesforce data. And I'd be putting that story together myself. So now with BrightFunnel, I can see the full picture. And I can see, okay, this job number relates to this video. And this video had influenced you know, X amount of pipeline and bookings and touch this many people. Uh, and, but then I can take that 11168 number, that beginning of those job numbers, I can search for just that and see how the whole hub is doing all together. So when I told you those um, 3.1 million in booking influence number earlier, that was from pulling all of my gated resources together in BrightFunnel and seeing how just the resources alone were influential. And I attribute that to artslove.com. I attribute that back to the hub. Uh, but because every individual resource has its own extension, I can then see how each one is performing on their own. And it just you kind of start to geek out, uh, but that's really how I use my Uberflip Hub. I use it; it's a it's an extension of all of my campaigns. Anytime I get a new article, a new infographic, a new white paper, they just go up on that hub, and I distribute them as needed. Whether that be embedding onto a landing page, I'm also starting to play with their um, their flyout recommendation feature. Uh, there's some really cool tools within Uberflip that you can't really get from out-of-the-box functionality from a lot of our content management system platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's a good complement to, to any CMS. And they not there. only have the marketing tools, but they've got the sales enablement tools as well. Well, I'll tell you, that's almost like a commercial for Uberflip. Um, I will definitely oh, I let Randy and Adrian and the whole team up there in Canada know about the podcast. But, you know, Lisa, as we wrap up, I just, you know, what I've really yes. enjoyed is listening to how 
passionate you are about marketing, about demand generation, about marketing technology and marketing performance. And I was really just, you know, glad to get you on the podcast so that folks can start hearing people like you, these agents of change that are really taking marketing's game to the next level. Very proud of you. And for those of you who don't know, I'll just toot her horn for a little bit that um, Lisa and her team have won a Finney Award this year for the interactive quiz that they built using the Snap App platform. And you are right, nominated for a Marketo Revy this year. So good luck with that. That's only a few months away. Yeah, cross my fingers there. Yeah. Oh, and we got an we got a Uberflip XP award for artsweb.com as well. So nice. So we're we're definitely we're doing something right. That's for sure. You're doing it's, a lot. It's a fun right. time to be a marketer. I I'll never forget. I'll leave you with this. Um, I did go to uh, the Content Experience Conference in Toronto last year. It, it's in August again this year, and they had GradCon, um, the CMO for Microsoft, and he said in his presentation, "The next marketer is techie. If you aren't techie, get techie." And I was able to sit in the audience and be like. Sweet. I feel like I am. I'm on the right track. <laughs> you are definitely part so, geek and part I'll never chic, forget Lisa. That. <laughs> yeah. You've got the DNA for sure. And I'm so glad that your career journey has has led you to where it has and um, you're having as much fun as, as you're doing. Well, we got to wrap up, but um, Lisa, thank you again. And just a big shout out to everybody tuning in. Thank you every week for listening to the program. I hope you continue to subscribe. I love it when you're either on LinkedIn or you guys are sending me emails of messages of what you'd like. And so I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which is going to be a theme uh, going on for the rest of this year, which is these change agents, people like Lisa, who are just bringing you a wealth of um, expertise and some insights into what they're doing. We're also going to start a Tech Talk series where we geek out, as you said earlier, Lisa, on MarTech and talk um, even more depth on the tools, although we covered a lot today. So thank you again. I hope you have a great rest of, of your week. I appreciate you being on the program. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was fun. You bet. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We're going to sign off and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 